code to New York City, trauma code to WBAI. I am Dr. Simon Fitzgerald, a Brooklyn trauma surgeon and surgical intensivist. And I am Dr. Cassandra Raphael, an adult and child psychiatrist. And welcome to Trauma Code. Together we will focus on healing of mind, body, and community from trauma. We'll discuss how wellness fits into the culture at large. Join us on Monday at 2 p.m. on WBAI. back to Trauma Code on WBAI. It is October 23rd. We are live and in studio in downtown Brooklyn. And that intro we just heard was Mdu Mokhtar, uh, Iblis Amgar from uh, the Niger album Volume 2, which just w- was put out this last year. That was a recording out of Philadelphia from the radio station WKDU. And that um, music was recommended to me by a good friend of the show, uh, the uh, rock star I have a closest relationship to, my childhood friend, Alex Scali. So thank you for that, Alex, from uh, Beach House. Um, and, uh, you know, people who were listening last week, we had um, we were covering the war in the Holy Land, in Israel and Gaza. We had on... Uh, Dr. Osaid Asir, a, a surgery resident from Gaza, um, and uh, a lot has changed since then. You know, very soon after that episode, it uh, it was it was very timely in a way, and in another way, it was before its time. Um, but I really wanted uh, I wanted to bring um, Dr. Asir back on the line to talk about what's going on in hospitals in Gaza, the healthcare situation, um, and think about. Um, what could be done uh, to alleviate the suffering and uh, bring healing and repair a broken world. Um, But honestly, if I brought him on the line right now, I feel like we'd have to restate a lot of the stuff that we already talked about last week. So I really want to replay something like 10 or 15 minutes of an interview from last week. And to be honest, the music that we had on was so appropriate, I'm not even going to change that at all. So to start today's show, I'm going to replay an interview with Dr. Osaid Elser, um, a surgery resident in the U.S. from Gaza, about the healthcare situation in Gaza. It's going to be a little bit dated because it's going to be from uh, October 16th, but we'll bring him on the line afterwards and get some other information to update um, everything and, and bring us up to the current moment. So, uh, Reggie, why don't you bring up that interview? There's going to be a little musical interlude from last week as well. <laughs> Cassandra Raphael, an adult and child psychiatrist. Welcome 
Welcome to Trauma Code. Together we will focus on healing a mind, body, and community from trauma. We'll discuss how wellness fits into the culture at large. Join us on Monday at 2 p.m. on WBAI. This is Dr. Simon Fitzgerald live and in studio for October 16th. Uh, and that music was uh, Yousef Day's Black Classical Music uh, from the album of the same name. Excellent album that came out this year. Um, and, you know, we were off the air last week. It's been a little while. And, you know, recently we had a, a sports show. I was excited about the Orioles who lost, got swept in the playoffs. We were excited about University of Colorado, which has since lost three times. We are excited about the New York Liberty and the Las Vegas Aces who are playing right now. So I'm yesterday down the street at the Barclays Center for the WNBA Finals. Um, but all of that seems kind of inconsequential. I think anyone who's been paying attention, if they want to or not, has... Uh, almost been bombarded in the senses from really horrifying news from uh, the Holy Land um, right on October 7th the brigade of, of uh, the Hamas uh, militants stormed over the uh, border of Gaza uh, into Israel uh, and really brutal mass murder killing at least 1400 people including children kidnapping probably another 200 um, and then since then we know there's been uh, you know, the whole thing is like a horror movie with different chapters, different um, episodes. Um, and, and, and now we know in Gaza there is a, a complete kind of devastation, destruction. Half the population has been displaced, probably 2,700 people killed or more, 700 killed, children killed, 9,000 injured, no food, no water, no power, and no safety in Gaza. And it seems like the siege and the, siege and the invasion um, are really only beginning. Um, and, you know, this unfortunately is, is the logic of war that treats all people as expendable, as combatants of not deserving of human dignity. Um, and, and we have a guest on from... Uh, Israel that I want to talk to in a bit, but we have a, a, a brief window where um, Dr. Osaid uh, Elser, who is a, uh, a physician training in surgery from Gaza, is able to join us. And I wanted to take the opportunity to talk to him and get a, a little bit of update um, from him. Uh, Dr. Elser, uh, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Uh, if you can sp uh, speak up or speak closer to the mic. Um, and uh, Osaid and I have been in communication for a while now because um, through your connections and your kind of work and research, you've really been trying to define the medical and surgical capacity within the Gaza Strip as a first step towards improving and expanding that. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think you have an interest um, in plastic and burn surgery. And we, we know right now with the incendiaries and explosives, including white phosphorus, that is really um, in demand right now. And I... I invited you on the air. I wanted for you to give us a sense of really the crisis right now of the of the health system in Gaza. Um, if if and and also we know that 
many physicians have lost their lives there in the attacks on Gaza, and I wanted to give them uh, a moment of silence and a tribute uh, with you as well. So what can you tell us, Osaid? What's what's going on in Gaza right now where your family is? Absolutely. Can you hear me better now? Yeah, just speak up. You're doing good. Perfect. Um, yeah, I mean, thank you, Dr. Fitzgerald, uh, for, the, for the intro and for having me today. Um, it, it is indeed devastating, um, you know, to like, you know, lose a lot of um, healthcare workers, not only doctors, but nurses, uh, paramedics, um, and across the spectrum. Um, so, as we know, like over the last um, few days, it has been a kind of a huge loss for everybody, um, particularly healthcare system. I mean, the healthcare system is a really big one. Uh, deficient in literally all aspects of it, whether it's, uh, you know, the um, staff or infrastructure or, like, uh, procedures that we do, equipment, supplies, and all of that. And so that's baseline. And this, you know, healthcare system uh, disaster um, was, you know, much worse when COVID hit the Gaza Strip. And then now we have this current war is really devastating um, you know in terms of like loss of like life and we lost so far at least 46 um, colleagues um, you know I have some statistics that I collected from the Minister of Health and, and from resources on the ground so far we have 11 uh, physicians between residents wow. and attending uh, we lost them uh, we have four dentists two medical students uh, from Gaza Strip, and then we have 14 uh, nurses, uh, around 14 paramedics who lost their lives. So really, it's really devastating for sure. Um, I mean, I, I personally, I, I studied medicine in Gaza Strip. I worked there as a physician, uh, kind of a junior intern physician as well before I left Gaza, and now I'm in the U.S. Uh, so I really know like the, what's going on in the, in the strip. Um, there's a lot of things to talk about, but the summary is that it's, it's really devastating. The healthcare system is already collapsed. I don't know how to describe it. It's even more collapsed now. Well, and, and I can describe what, I, what I've read, and we know that you know something like a million people out of the population of something like two and a half million are displaced right now. Um, and the Israeli military is telling even hospitals to, uh, to evacuate, which is really not possible so i understand it they're running out of fuel they may have run out of fuel so anything any electrical equipment any kind of sterile equipment right now is really not available um, as i understand it they don't have the capacity at the main hospital even to bury the dead at this time because it's just not safe um, and everybody's family who's working at the hospital is also as i understand staying there if they don't have any safer place to go in the hope that it won't be a target of of uh of attack um, so it really just sounds like an untenable situation no, absolutely. I mean, as you, as you described, I mean, I talked to some of my colleagues, you know, of course, it's, it's really hard to, like, do a phone call because of the interruption in phone, like, service and even to text. But from from chatting with a few of them, especially on the burn, uh, plastics, kind of general studies, that's trauma side, I mean, almost all of them, they have their family with them in the same hospital there kind of living in the basement. My family actually currently lives in the basement of a Shiva hospital because their house was partially demolished because of like a, a nearby 
bombings uh, in the Rinal neighborhood, which is one of the vibrant, used to be, I guess, in, in Gaza. And so they have their family with them because of, like, their fear of, like, you know, being killed in, a, in, a, in, in this kind of bombing. And they definitely lack, you know, a lot of, like, supplies. I mean, even like normal saline um, and can I stop you for a minute Osai correct me if I'm I'm wrong but I just learned this last week you know I also speak Spanish and the word for gauze in Spanish is Gaza which is the same word for Gaza and I've just read that that is essentially where gauze was invented or established or propagated was in you know the medical history of Gaza so just to show that it's you know we think of it as a giant refugee camp but it's a city with uh, history and culture and and knowledge um, that you know that has come before. Absolutely. No, I mean you know as we said, if you go to the uh, Wikipedia and Britain, uh, uh, I think the kind of encyclopedia too. The the word Gaza or Gaz comes from uh, Gaza because it was a, a center for kind of weaving industry back back in the day. So I mean it used to be a center for excellences like a lot of like medical. And surgical innovations, but you know, Gaza is, you know, if you go to Gaza Strip, like, you will rarely see any, like, historic remarks there because it has been subject, subjected to a lot of, like, destruction and starting from the Romans and ending with the current, you know, uh, occupation to Palestine. So, um, definitely, I mean, the healthcare system is, is not new, that is being under a kind of destruction and uh, lack of capacity as well. Indeed, and you know, um, you'd mentioned your interest in burn and trauma, um, and uh, I don't know if, if you're able to speak up at all um, to, to to let our listeners hear a little more clearly. Um, but uh, do you want to highlight any of the? You know, I've seen that some at least one burn surgeon was killed, at least one anesthesiologist. Um, get, uh, get a sense within you know the field uh, that we work in, what is kind of yeah. the, the generational um, cultural. Uh, and, and medical knowledge and wealth that's being lost at this moment. No, absolutely. I mean, just to kind of mention one thing that I forgot to mention. So currently, um, you know, so in the U.S. and like a lot of like kind of Western countries, there is something called trauma surgeons. In Gaza, there is not even a single trauma surgeon. The trauma care is being done by general surgeons who have experience. And they do have a lot of experience, but just so that... You know, and like the audience, there is not even a single trauma surgeon in Gaza. The other thing, there is no trauma center. There is a, a kind of a, like an ER type of like work, but not a, a trauma like center as we have. We have level one, level two, level three trauma center. We don't have that, uh, what they call in the UK major trauma system. We don't have that. Um, going back to the, uh, you know, so, so to answer your question in more like data driven approach. So we, we've done actually two m- major studies. The first one is called Scalpel 1 and the second one is Scalpel 2. And this stands for surgical capacity assessment and leverage in the Palestinian band. So these two studies are the first ever kind of nationwide evaluation of surgical capacity, not only in Gaza, but also in West Bank and, and the Palestinian side of Jerusalem. So to give you some of the findings, and those are preliminary because we're still working on the analysis. So in Gaza, so the first study looked at plastic surgery capacity evaluation. In Gaza, there is only three board certified, and we're not talking about like American or British boards, it's like local Palestinian board certified plastic surgeons. And and one of them actually is Dr. Medhat Saydam, who lost his life a few days ago. 
um, uh, along with his entire family as well. Uh, so you can imagine like having two million population, uh, more than that actually, and having only three board certified plastics and burn surgeons and losing one, it, the impact is huge for sure. Um, the, um, the other thing is like, you know, supplies and equipment, you know, there's a lot of like, um, like stores and supplies have been lost as well because of the uh, continued bombardment. Looking at the other like kind of uh, casualties, so one of the physician is actually a former dean of my medical school and he's one of the clinicians too. We lost him. We lost uh, four more attendings. One is obstetric and gynecologist, one is anesthesiologist and uh, another OBGYN doctor as well, and like there's resident urology residents as well, and all of those people I know, like on the personal side, because I work in the Gaza Strip. So, I mean, you know, the system is already lacking, like, you know, you know, personal infrastructure and all of that. So, imagine losing, you know, like a few more uh, during this current like escalation this definitely has a lot of impact as well um, so yeah I mean I, I honestly like it, it's very hard to describe this if you, I mean you already described part of it but I think like there's no way we can accurately describe the situation um, you know and, and give it the, the, the kind of right description right I mean basically it sounds like um almost unprecedented mass casualty while there's a huge wave of displaced people and a lack of really any um, of the capacity that we take for granted in taking care of sick and injured people. Um, so I, Absolutely. As, you know, I described it kind of this whole episode as just chapters of a horror movie, and I think that in and of itself, you know, uh, really the... the I think of even when we had COVID here, you know, running out of supplies and, and having more p sick patients than we knew where to put them. Um, and that was um, absolutely nothing compared to, to what you're describing. So, um, and, you know, I know you have other clinical obligations today. Anything else that you want to make sure that um, you communicate to our New York audience before you get back to work? No, I mean, I think the biggest message is really uh, my recommendation for people who, especially those who don't know anything about Palestine, is read about the, the issue. Uh, it's worth it. I mean, re not just because I'm biased, because I'm Palestinian, but, you know, what's going on is, is, is uh, and again, like both sides, they have a lot of things going on. There is a lot of like civilians who have nothing to do with politics, but read about it. Uh, if you can help and support the uh, the situation out there definitely do um, advocacy is the biggest thing we need right now uh, second I think what we need is you know a lot of like capacity building rather than just short trips and you know doing certain procedures and going back I think building the, the healthcare system uh, improving the training as well and, and one thing that I did not mention is like we don't really have any Plastic, for example, a surgery residency program, so there's no way to train the future generation. Um, so investing in that, training the next generation, helping out, I think that's the biggest thing in building capacity and improving, uh, you know, care for those uh, victims. Well, Saeed, I know you're um, not a fan necessarily of the spotlight, so I appreciate you taking a moment to talk to us. And I really look forward to the capacity building work that you've been describing. And definitely, uh, if there's a role for me to support that long term, I'll look forward to it. Goodbye, Evergreen. You know I love you. 
To the Trauma Code, this is Dr. Simon Fitzgerald, live and in studio on October 23rd. That was just uh, an interview from last week with Dr. Uh, Osaid Elser, a, a um, Palestinian from Gaza, training in surgery in the United States. And I have him on the line to give us an update. You'll notice some of those references were a little bit dated, and a lot has changed, much of it for the worst, in the last week. Uh, Dr. Sir, are you uh, on the air? Are you with us? Yes, sir. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, speak up if you can. Um, get closer to um, the mic. And, um, you know, that was everything you and I talked about last week. You had an opportunity to hear some of it. Um, and, you know, what uh, for our audience, what would you say to kind of update? What's the situation in the hospitals in Gaza right now? Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for having me again. I mean, the situation is still dire. Uh, the bombing is still going on. It's actually intensified. Uh, last night, uh, especially in the uh, Gaza city. Um, so I'll give you just a short update from the Ministry of Health uh, from yesterday. I don't have the update from today just yet. Um, so the uh, the targeting has expanded to uh, other civilian sort of like spots, including markets, places of worship, including, you know, mosques, uh, church. Uh, we saw the, the church in Gaza, the actually one of the oldest uh, in the world. Uh, bakeries and restaurants as well. Um, the um, so for the the total uh, you know casualties as following. So we have around 5,000 martyrs wow. uh, or uh, people who were killed, including 1,800 children wow. and 1,000 women and 180 elderly as well. And then the total uh, civilian injured around five to 15,000 as well. So you can imagine there's a lot of uh, casualties. Uh, it definitely exceeds the capacity of all hospitals combined in, in, in Gaza Strip. Um, the, um, and then the, in terms of the medical team, so we don't have any like international uh, medical teams except just one surgeon. We are just talking about one surgeon, Dr. Gassan Abusitta, and I'm sure many uh, people have seen his tweets and uh, interviews coming from Gaza Strip. He's a, a, a British Palestinian plastic surgeon who happened to be there in Gaza just before that happened. The attacks happened, uh, and you know the uh, Israeli and the uh, on the Egyptian side as well. They have not allowed any um, medical trips to go in, which is unprecedented. Has never happened before in Gaza. Usually, whenever there is a big war or very big attacks or escalation, usually next day, following day, somebody comes in. But now we're talking about more than two weeks in, and uh, there's only one surgeon there, in addition to the. 
very few number of surgeons are there already. Sorry, go, go ahead. No, I, <clears throat> excuse me, and, and I don't want to interrupt you, with, and there's a lot that we could say about um, <clears throat> excuse me, the crisis and the situation of shortage in the, in the hospitals in um, in Gaza during this really unprecedented mass casualty. Um, but you mentioned um, Dr. Ghassan Obseta, uh, who was at Ali Hospital, right, the um, the Anglican Hospital in Gaza yeah. that was bombed with um, several hundred um, killed and, and additional injured. Right, and we know since then, you know, that the Israeli, uh, the IDF has made official um, pronouncements and presented evidence that maybe it was Palestinian jihad rockets. And there's, you know, intelligent people who know these things that find that explanation plausible. Um, but we also know that we're in a, a moment where the fog of war is thick, and you know, the, the um, Israeli military has. Um, at times not been forthcoming when they've killed um, civilians, in, including and journalists are aware of this because of the killing of Shireen Abu Akleh for weeks. Um, right. They claimed it was Palestinian gunmen that killed her on the outskirts of Jenin. And when the evidence was all analyzed, it was very clear that it was an Israeli sniper um, that was responsible. And we don't know the um, identification of that person. They've never been held accountable. <clears throat> Excuse me. So all that to frame, I, I actually, you know, as you mentioned, um, Dr. Obseta has spoken for himself, right? He did a um, news conference among the bodies in the parking lot of the Al Ali Hospital right. in English as well as in Arabic. Um, that it, you know, it took me days and days to stumble upon that. And with your permission, and, and this is someone I don't know if you have a personal relationship or a professional relationship with them. Um, and, you know, he may say things because he's speaking from that moment. And, you know, as time goes by, some of the information may, may not be exactly what he understood in that moment. But it's such an important historical document that I, I want to play it uninterrupted for the next couple of minutes. Yes, sir. Yeah, uh, I would love that. Reggie, can we cue up that um, press conference with Dr. Ghassan Obseta? My name is uh, Dr. Ghassan Obseta. My name is Dr. Ghassan Obseta. I am a plastic and reconstructive surgeon. I am a British-Palestinian volunteer with Médecins Sans Frontières. This morning, upon the request of the Ahli Hospital administration, I moved from Shifa Hospital to the Ahli Hospital to help out with the treatment of some of the wounded, as the number of wounded had exceeded the number of beds in the hospital. We had been operating all day and had made the decision that in order to continue operating on these patients, I would stay behind um, and sleep at the hospital. In the evening, after we finished one of the surgeries, we heard a missile screech following by a huge explosion. As a result of the explosion, part of the ceiling of the operating room fell. As I moved towards the outside of the operating room, see bodies of children piled up, both dead, not moving, and wounded. There were several who had been amputated. I tended to a man who had his leg blown off at the thigh. We then carried on trying to resuscitate the patients. When the ambulance came, I decided to help out by carrying one of the wounded who had had a shrapnel in his neck into the ambulance. As I was walking towards the ambulance, there were parts of there were body parts everywhere and there were bodies piled up in the courtyard of the hospital. 
I then got into the ambulance and escorted the patient back to Shifa Hospital. This morning, when I drove into the hospital, I noted how full the hospital courtyard was with families who had sought refuge inside the hospital, thinking that it would be a safe haven. It's these very same families who are now either dead or critically wounded as a result of this attack. This is a core crime that the world has seen coming. Israel has been warning the entire world that it was going to attack Palestinian hospitals. And it did exactly that. Every Western politician who has declared unconditional support for Israel's war effort on the Palestinian people the blood of these children on their hands. That unconditional support is what led us to this massacre. The impunity that Israel believes it has from its Western allies is what has led to this massacre. No other country feels the impunity to target hospitals and get away with it. What happened today is a war crime, and if the Israelis get away with it again, then more war crimes will be committed and more hospitals will be targeted. I'm called Dr. Hassan Suleiman Abu Sitta. I'm a general director of the government of Britannia. Wow. All right, deep breath. Welcome back to the Trauma Code. Uh, you were just listening to a press conference by um, Dr. Ghassan Absetta from the parking lot of the Al-Ali Hospital in Gaza, um, surrounded um, by bodies after the uh, fire and explosion um, last week between our last show and today. And I have on the line uh, Dr. Osaid Alser, a, a Palestinian uh, training in surgery in the United States, who's updating us on the situation in Gaza, uh, in the healthcare situation, the, the mass casualty crisis that's going on right now. Um, that was a lot. Uh, Osaid, anything that, that you would want to add um, after after listening to that um, yeah, no, I mean, you, know, you and Dr. Rabsita really summarized uh, what's going on. But I just wanted to kind of, uh, you know, shed the light on two things that have been sort of happening over the last uh, couple of days. Um, the first one is like how surgeons have been dealing with the mass casualties, especially the operative ones. And so currently, because, you know, so for example, Shifa Hospital is the largest hospital and most of the um, kind of um, attacks they are in, in Gaza City, and that's where the hospital is. The, so, as I said in the previous uh, kind of, um, uh, like last time, uh, there is no trauma surgeons, there is no trauma centers. So, the general vascular surgeons, the way, and orthopedic surgeons, the way they've been treating those kind of injuries, and that includes amputations, uh, fracture fixation, uh, or external fixator and bleeding control, and we're talking about damage control, which is a concept where you just basically want to do something really quick to save their life, rather than doing definitive stuff. Um, because of the uh, lack of, like, you know, we don't have a lot of uh, OR um, capabilities in, in that hospital, so they've been doing those kind of procedures uh, in the hallways, in the OR holding areas, um, even in the corridors as well, and, and with with minimal or no sedations at all. We're not talking about like a thorough procedure, moving the patient to the OR, putting them to sleep, and then operating on them. It's really external fixator, bleeding control, all of that, fixing laceration, all of that, without any analgesia, without any sedation, or sometimes very minimal sedation doses because they don't 
still ran out of uh, sedatives and all of that. The um, other thing in terms of like supplies, is, I mean, Dr. Gassanov said, I mentioned it not in this uh, time, but like on his Twitter, uh, they've been using vinegar, just over-the-counter vinegar to clean wounds as, a, as an antiseptic um, instead of like chlorhexidine or betadine or like the stuff that we normally have. And the um, other things, you know, I mentioned in the last time that I wanted to reiterate that the number of burn surgeons in the entire Gaza Strip is less than 10, and only three of them are, you know, board certified, and one of them was killed. So that does impact the uh, the way burn has been, you know, dealt with in Gaza. And to just focus on burn, uh, there have been a lot of, like, reports from my friends, from my colleagues who I trust. They, they've seen a very unusual burn injuries where, for example, you know, you see, like, a, a tower, which is a classic case scenario. You have a tower of, like, six floors, seven floors, something like that, and it gets completely uh, leveled to the ground. And then the patterns of injuries that you see just burn. You only see, like, you know, extremity burns specifically. And we don't see any blast injuries. And it sounds like they've been using some sort of new weapons, new rockets that would just create that really devastating burn injuries that goes all the way down to the bone and muscles uh, without causing other visceral injuries, uh, which is the surgeons, it's not me, people who are on the ground, uh, burn surgeons, they, they said, their entire career, which can be more than 20 years, you've never seen anything like that. So it's unusual injury. They're already understaffed. They actually don't have nursing uh, staff, which for anyone who took care of burn like uh, patients, really nursing staff is the biggest thing because you need to do daily wound care and look at the wound and all of that. So you don't have nursing staff. There's only like three or four uh, like surgeons and uh, kind of residents there who are taking care of the injuries, and they see so many of them. So, and with those kind of third and fourth degree sort of full thickness injuries, many of them they die, and they need a lot of critical care management and vent management. And um, so, I mean, the situation is just really hard. It's, it's they've never seen anything like that before. Right, and and I appreciate you really illustrating. Um, the depth of the crisis right now and, and the, um, you know, the morbidity, the mass casualty situation and the extreme lack of resources. And I think in some ways um, focus on the question of, of who lit the fuse, right, that, that caused the explosion at Al-Ali Hospital, in some ways obscures what's going on, right? Those, those numbers you told us, 5,000 dead, almost 2,000 children, the vast majority, there's, there's no controversy about, um, uh, you know, whose munitions caused those injuries. And to be honest, even if that rocket, you know, came from the southwest and, and not the, the, the northeast, Whoever's firing those rockets, setting off bombs, dropping bombs, you know, using live ammunition, killing civilians, it needs to stop, right? This needs to be the, the demand. And I think the U.S. government in shipping weapons there immediately after um, the, the, the atrocity of, of October 7th really missed an opportunity, right, to, to send things like hostage negotiators, to send, um, you know, resources to take care of people um, and really um, – and by escalating this war, I think it is is leading us. You know, when we're only to the beginning of what may be a, even um, more dire situation in a ground invasion. Um, so I, I think that for anyone who's in a position to to make that demand, right, uh, 
ceasefire now, release all of the hostages, and allow for treatment of the civilian trauma patients as soon as possible with the resources that are available in the region if they're allowed to get to the patients. Anything else you'd like to add to that? No, I mean, I think, you know, you just said it. I think civilians should should not be involved at all. I mean, you know, there is a term like, you know, collateral damage that, you know, the the IDF or IOF, whatever you call it, uh, that has been, you know, kind of using. I mean, this is not collateral damage at all. I mean, we are seeing targeting, intentional targeting of just random buildings and, like, you know, entire families. They are just wiped off the, the civil registry. So, I mean, I think there is a kind of uh, so many civilians that we lost that have nothing to do with any of the militant factions in, in, in Gaza. Uh, and I mean, on both sides, too. I mean, in Israel, too, there are civilians that were killed that have nothing to do. They're just visiting. So I think the targeting civilians should not be there. The All, all sorts of, like, you know, uh, aggression and, uh, you know, atrocities should stop. Just should stop. And like allow people to breathe, allow them to like get treatment and, you know, let politicians fight after. But really the civilians are the victim. I mean, my, I'll give you one last uh, example before we end. I mean, my family, they're still, all of them are still in Gaza. I was so worried last night because the bombing was 24-7 and when they report, oh, it's in this X area, which is literally, this is our neighborhood. So you can imagine like the feeling that I had, like it was so heartbreaking like you know just kind of thinking about it oh is, is my mom among those who were brought to that hospital and I, you keep calling and then like for an hour nobody answers and then finally mom answers we are okay so just imagine any american citizen who's living here and like experiencing that it's just so overwhelming um, and i and i hope through this uh, kind of uh, radio I hope that we kind of deliver the message of humanity. Just think about it. Forget about your background. Just think about it from a, a humanitarian lens. And uh, this is a humanitarian crisis. Regardless of what we believe in, I think we should protect humans. We should protect civilians. And, and I'm glad that you brought up, um, you know, despite <clears throat> excuse me, the acute situation that your family finds themselves in, um, recognition of the trauma that um, those in southern Israel suffered. Um, and I think, you know, as healthcare workers, you know, listening to um, Dr. Absetta is such an important historical and also kind of medical document. And I think some of the Israeli first responders also um, have some really powerful um, and, and traumatizing um, uh, experiences, uh, interviews, and, and kind of documents that are being set out. And I know. There's at least, and I wish I had her name in front of me, one of the survivors who I think was a journalist from one of the kibbutz in southern Israel. And, you know, she is clearly shaken up, traumatized, has not had a chance to process what's what she's lived through. And she said she survived the worst 12 hours that anyone can imagine. And what uh, makes it hard for her to go to sleep and wake up is knowing that that trauma has not ended for people um, just several kilometers away in Gaza who are still living the trauma day after day and night after night of, of this um, catastrophe that's been going on <clears throat> at least since October 7th. Um, and the, the other thing that I wanted you to update us on, you know, last time you told us about healthcare workers um, that had been killed in Gaza, including several um, that you knew personally. And since then, you've also talked online about at least one journalist that, that you knew that has been killed. And I think part of 
the fog of war and, and the uncertainty is that the lack of reliable sources within Gaza, partially because of the blockade and the lack of electricity and internet, and partially because of the um, the toll, the the human toll that this war has taken on journalists um, in in Gaza. Anything else you would like to add to bring us up to date or to recognize what's been going on? Um, I mean, I think the number, as I, as I said, like there's no official report for like uh, healthcare workers. There's some, you know, like random social media posts from the Ministry of Health you, you see, but not like list of names. So I've been like compiling them through my network in Gaza, through the research network that we have, through the like our friends and uh, stuff. So we have at least 59 uh, healthcare workers, and that includes doctors, 12 of them, nurses, 14 of them, paramedics, about 15 as well, and like university professors, three of them as well. So there's a bunch of them uh, who were, you know, killed. And they're all like civilians just sitting at home. Some of them were actually on active duty, as in like they're in the, the hospital treating people, including in the UNRWA, which is like the UN agency that is related to health in Gaza. I mean, I, I don't have official numbers for journalists, but I mean, one of them was my dear friend, uh, Roshdi Saraj. He was in my class uh, in high school. And, uh, you know, after finishing the uh, university degree, he, like, opened his company as an entrepreneur. And it's, like, kind of a, a journalism sort of company that does documentaries for, like, big, like, CNN, Fox News, and all of that. Um, and, unfortunately, he, he was killed among his, his family as well. I mean, I think there is some sort of targeting for healthcare workers, for journalists, for like you know other people too. And it's unfortunate like, that we have so many losses, especially this time compared to last time. There's so many losses of professionals for people that we can rely on for like healthcare, for like you know speaking up and like delivering messages and seeing what's going on and showing the world what's going on. So it's it's very unfortunate for sure. And um, I guess it's already started, but um, this week is also um, the right the so-called Clinical Congress of the American College of Surgeons, kind of the biggest national meeting of uh, board-certified surgeons in the United States. Um, and I'm hoping to run into you there in Boston. Um, and you know, I, I don't know what opportunity I'll have to, and for whatever it's worth. Um, but if I could speak to them, I would, uh, you know, ask them to consider. Uh, you know, and, and there's reasons that people don't want to talk about this. You don't want to cause an argument. You know, I work. Um, you know, we we work in Central Brooklyn. There's a large community that's Jewish and also lives uh, part of the time or has family in Israel. They may have family members that were killed or that were traumatized. Um, there's also significant, you know, um, Arabic population in the in. Uh, Arabic speaking, some in Palestinians in Brooklyn, in downtown Brooklyn. Um, but I, I think having the courage to call for peace, to call for a ceasefire, particularly because there's an active need for the treatment of surgical patients, of trauma patients, of burn patients right now, right now that if we could stop the killing and, and um, start treating them would really change the trajectory of a lot of people's lives. Um, if I was in a position to ask any leadership from a surgical organization to have the courage to take that stand, I would. Anything else that you would like to add to that, um, Osai? No, I mean, I think what you're doing, you're, you know, like giving me an opportunity, uh, like speaking to people and see what's going on and advocating for them. I think this is great and I appreciate your effort in that. Um, definitely, I mean, if anybody has, you know, an opportunity to advocate for, you know, 
like against what's going on and you know speaking up to to your representative to your national organization whether it's in medicine or outside medicine i think it's time to speak up uh, and i think being silent to, to me and many palestinians and many people who've been witnessing that i think i think in, in a part you're, you're kind of being complicit with what's going on um so I, i think speaking up at this point i think it's super super important And and the other thing that I wanted to recognize, right, we're both in the United States, we're speaking to an American audience. Um, this last week has seen two really devastating tragedies, local I mean, tragedies to the United States, really more in the Midwest, right? But there was a Palestinian six-year-old who was stabbed to death by his um, landlord, who apparently was kind of really under the influence of right-wing media like Fox News and things like that. Um, and we also know in uh, Detroit, in downtown Detroit, uh, one of the leadership of the, of the, I think the only synagogue in downtown Detroit was murdered. And we don't know why, but I just feel like in this moment of heightened aggression and hostilities that, you know, uh, those, you know, that, that collateral damage, that civilian casualties really can, can spill out into the hostilities in our local communities. So I think that's the other benefit of calling for ceasefire and de-escalation and give people, like you said, a moment to breathe and an opportunity to live is so important right now. No, absolutely. And it's very unfortunate on, on both sides. I mean, you know, seeing those kind of, uh, you know, atrocities uh, expanding to the, to the U.S. and, like, outside the U.S. and the U.K. have seen some incidents, too. It's just very unfortunate. Um, and I think everybody should be kind to each other, especially mm. during this time. Definitely. Um, and, you know, we're running up against the, the top of the hour. Um, and one thing, I just wanted to give you a moment. Last time you were on, you mentioned that um, people who are interested should read about the history of Palestine in particular. Um, is there any, you know, now we know that there's so much out there that's not reliable on the Internet. Are there any kind of sources, any books, anything, articles that you would recommend offhand as a good place for people um with uh with good faith to to start reading about what's going on yeah no i mean there is a bunch of resources um i think one uh excellent book that i myself read uh you know although like i'm i'm palestinian i live through it and stuff but it's interesting to to read this book from an, an a former uh actually soldier in the idf um Professor Ian Pape, who is a professor of history, I think, University of Exeter in the UK, is called Ethnic Cleansing of, of uh, Palestine. So it gives like a historic perspective of what happened uh, since even before 1948, what we call uh, a Nakba or catastrophe. Um, so it, it's a very nice book, not, not very long, I think like 200, 250 pages, something like that. And it, it gives very, like, well-cited uh, historic remarks and talks about the recent events as well. So I would strongly recommend that. Now, for people who don't like, you know, reading books and like documentaries, there's a bunch of documentaries. Uh, there's an American journalist called Abby Martin. She has a YouTube uh, channel. She has a bunch of social media outlets, too. But she has, like, I think a video called 101 Palestine, Israel kind of quote. It's from an American who has nothing to do with, like, she's not Muslim, she's not Jewish, she's, I don't know her beliefs, but she, basically, an American journalist went there, went on both sides, saw what's going on, and she's just reporting her views and, like, citing a few resources as well. So, I think there's a bunch of things that you can watch, but 
think these are the top ones that I can think of at this moment. Wow. Thanks so much. Osaid, anything else as we wrap up the episode? Uh, no, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. All right. And I look forward to seeing you in Boston uh, and New York. Thank you for joining us on Trauma Code. That was just Dr. Osaid Osir, a uh, Palestinian from Gaza, training in surgery in the United States, uh, updating us on the situation in the hospitals in Gaza, particularly with regards to trauma and burns right now. Um, and, you know, if you uh, like what we're doing, you can find us online, uh, WBAI.org, at the Radio Archives. You can find all of our past episodes. Uh, if you go wherever you get your podcasts, you can search for Trauma Code. You'll find this show and all of our pre previous episodes, um, as well as if you want to reach out, uh, can be reached at email, Trauma Code, WBI, uh, WBAI at gmail.com, Trauma Code, WBAI at gmail.com. And trauma code WBAI wherever you get your social media. And if you appreciate us, we appreciate you, and we need your help to keep this station going, to build on the legacy of WBAI. That pledge line at 212-209-2950, 212-209-2950. You can give online at give to WBAI.org, the number two, or WBAI.org. Just push the donate button. Thank you for your support in New York. We're going to close out with the song by Jean-Baptiste. And it's good advice. Take a deep breath. Drink water. Thank you for listening, New York. Take a deep breath. Drink water. Take a deep breath. Drink water. Take a deep breath. Drink water. You know that these streets just love. Calm down. Take a deep breath. Drink water. You know that these streets just love. Where you at? Right now. Where you at? Right now. In the east, Louisiana down south. I'll be there with the cleats. I'll be there with the squeaks. If you stuck, if you stuck, if you stuck, set you. When they lie, when they lie, just hit the reach out, I'll call you. When they try, when they try, you know that I'll be there for you. So take a deep breath, drink water. You know that these streets just now come down. Relax and calm down, you got to mind now, mind now And I know you messed up right now, when you are down Dance to my sound, my sound You know say I ain't official When they lie, when they lie Just hit the reach out, I'll call you When they try, when they try You know that I'll be there for you Take me to the river, take me to the 